from KQED. Hey everyone, I'm Emmanuel. I'm Kali. And we're two of the hosts of The Cooler, your weekly dose of pop culture commentary. This week we're joined by Jessamine Stanley, an internationally recognized yoga teacher. She doesn't like hearing about herself, so I'm just making it the worst right now. I love it. And you're doing it in that faux British accent as well. It's fantastic. <laughs> A body positivity advocate and an Instagram <laughs> legend. Oh, no. You could call her America's Next Top Yogi. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, please always. <laughs> this has gone off the rails. Anyway, yes. Back to the yeah. intro. Her first book, Every Body Yoga, melds lessons on how to better your life through yoga with personal essays about her journey to self-love and a bunch of other good stuff. So we're really excited to talk about all of that and more. Welcome to The Cooler, Jessamine. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, you guys. Oh, I'm yeah. very happy to be here with y'all. You're a busy bee. I, you know, I didn't intend to be a busy bee, but that is literally what's happening right now. There are a lot of, <laughs> lot of irons in the fire right now. So before we get to your yoga journey, I'd love to rewind it back to Baby Jessamine. Baby Jessamine. Baby. So this book provides an intimate look into your childhood and everything that came before your adult self. It was interesting to learn about all of the things that led to this point. So what were you like as a kid? <laughs> if this gives any context for the kind of person that I am, I aspired to be Lumiere, the candlestick. Oh, my God. Wow. Like, that was my life goal. <laughs> I didn't understand that you couldn't become inanimate objects. And someone actually pointed out to me recently that, didn't you kind of become a candle, like a light that is shining for other people? And I was like, boom, universe. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, I... Hold I've, that person I've, close. They yeah. sound great. <laughs> I've always been kind of like just off the wall, dreaming about random things and very much to the beat of my own drum. And I was very much like the weird kid that doesn't really have any friends. And especially in elementary school, I was like, I didn't have any friends in elementary school. And I was also bullied pretty badly, not really in elementary school, but definitely in middle school. But I also have always been a performer. I sang and have done all kinds of different artistic endeavors. And that has always led me to be around really interesting people. But I think that probably my identifying activity is sitting in a corner with a book or um, listening to a CD. You just dated yourself. So much. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> but I was definitely also a weirdo, for sure. I continue to be. A weirdo. I have to ask this banal follow-up question to the beautiful thing that you just said. Did you go and see the Beauty and the Beast remake and I, see Lumiere? So I did not. Um, did y'all? Did you guys see it? No. Yes. Okay. No. Hey, you did intensely. D did you enjoy it? Um, that's a lot of question. That okay. might take the full hour. But <laughs> what I will say is podcast diverts for the next forty minutes. It was interesting that they just threw that little hint of gayness mm. to contemporize it and make it different than the original. So it was a Lumiere thing. It should have been Lumiere and Cogsworth oh. getting together instead. Totally. Hey now. It was Gaston <laughs> and his henchmen. That's what I thought they were alluding to. And I was just kind of like, mm, I don't see it. Dude. Also, like, that's a boss employee relationship. Uh, like, that's workplace yeah. issues. Yeah. Yes. Back off. Yeah. HR. Not appropriate. Alert. Also, it goes into the trope of 
oh, the gay person is lusting after the straight person who will never love them back. That's what I got from that whole, there's some gay happening in Beauty and the Beast. I was like, I don't really need it. But you know what I did love? Did y'all see Belle and Bougie, that video? That, oh, yes. Um, no. So like, oh my gosh, it's it's Bad and Bougie by Migos, uh-huh. but made to be about Belle from Beauty and the Beast. And okay, so she's like, now. my life is Belle and Bougie. It's so good. Wait. Rain drop, yeah. drop top, drop top. Chillin' with a clock and a teapot, pop. Duckin' on Gaston cause he not hot, hot. Switchin' with pops cause he got, got, got. Now I'm the girl with the magic mirror. Wait. Up in the castle, I see a Clara. Woo. Call up the crew and they come and clean. Hey. Y'all hit this corny just like that. My life is bell and poosh. I lived for that and made everyone that I know watch it. But the remake, I was kind of like, well. I do wish that the poster had featured the phrase, there's some gay in this. There's some, there, <laughs> you know, just, be much better. They should have a just rating so for that. <laughs> You know that lyric in the in the song in the tavern with Gaston and LeFou says like no one's neck is as thick as Gaston. Oh. Does he say it does he say it like that? There is a <laughs> wink wink situation. How are we spelling thick? <laughs> it's like, oh, with a Q. With how many K- Oh, yeah. I was thinking with how many Ks, but yes, with a Q. Mm-hmm. Too many Ks is a problem for many reasons. We're just going to leave that. You know, heard heard <laughs> too many Ks is a problem. From the KKK to the Kardashians. I was just, I was like, there's all these K things when it's not a good time. Did no one in the Kardashian family think about that? How that, like the optics of that? Like, I know so who did. Like, <laughs> Caitlyn being like, I'm going to go with the C. No, Caitlyn was literally like, yeah, so we're not doing this. I know too much about that family. I would, oh, I'd rather listen, know nothing about This is about a safe them. space on the cooler. Yeah, okay. It really right. is because I've seen all the episodes, some of them twice. Okay, cool. Okay. I feel better then. It's a struggle. I use yoga to process that. Well, I'm fascinated by that little one, Kylie, because she is low-key a social media genius. Maybe not even low-key. Like, I think she literally understands it on a level that other people don't. But I also am like, am I giving her too much credit? Am I thinking too much about it? Am I intellectualizing someone who's not trying to be intellectualized? I don't know. I'm just like, what's going on here? Well, you know what? She's, to use a yoga saying... She's not grasping, you know? She's not trying to be smart. (laughs) And she was the one who coined the phrase, 2016 is the year of realizing things. And she was right. We laughed at her at the beginning, and then she was right. Right side of history. She Donald Trumped that one, accidentally saying something that's relevant. Actually, let me not give him that much credit. Wow. So yeah. Went there. Kylie Jenner is the new Iyengar. You heard it here first. (laughs) No! I'm living for Kylie Jenner is the new Iyengar. Please, God, don't make it so. This can't be it. Is that it? Make that it a hashtag. So back to Baby Jessamine. You grew up in the Baha'i religion. I did. I did. And I was wondering, for those who don't know, if you could talk mm. about what that entails and how that type of upbringing affected you growing up. I mean, the Baha'i faith really is a very, very in my opinion, a very beautiful religion. The core idea is the oneness of humanity. So it's Mm -hmm. basically that every prophet, Jesus, Muhammad, the Buddha, all of these people, that they're really manifestations of God that come for a particular time dispensation and that that person gives the same message essentially to all people. And the message generally being be nice to everybody and like, don't be an asshole, then it's up to the people who they tell that information to what they do with it. And the core belief essentially is when Christ said that he would come again, that he came as Baha'u'llah, who started the Baha'i faith. And it's a very young religion, but it's also um, 
all over the world. There's, it's a very, very diverse religion. It was a huge part of my life, but I started to come into conflict with it when I was in high school. I came out when I was in high school. I want to say that the Baha'i faith is very progressive, but I do think that there are some things that are kind of within the context of the time that it came up. And so there's some very homophobic language. And, um, I had a very strong reaction to it and just kind of found myself drifting away from it over the years and being very apprehensive about spirituality in general. And so even when I started practicing yoga, I was very apprehensive about the spiritual aspects of it. And I was okay with like the physical postures, but getting into anything related to the spirit was just like, I don't know about that. And that's something I think that happens to a lot of people who are raised in religion, not even specifically that religion. I see it very often with people who are raised in Christianity and with people who are raised in Judaism and in Islam. And the weird thing is when you give up one thing about a religion, then it's like you feel as though you can give up everything. So one of the big things in the Baha'i faith is not drinking. And I was raised by staunch teetotalers. My parents never talked about alcohol because they were both raised by people who had alcohol problems. So, of course, the first opportunity that I had to drink, I was like, what's up with this magic potion that everybody's been not talking about? And then um, it became pretty clear should have been clearer than it probably was that I did not know how to handle myself with alcohol. And that is something that I continue to struggle with to this day. And it's something that, honestly, I think not enough yoga practitioners are really honest about. I don't know anyone who practices yoga who did not come to it because of like a serious injury or the loss of a loved one or um, a disease or some kind of addiction. Addiction is super common in yoga practitioners. And the fact that we don't talk about it means that there's this whole element of community that doesn't even get acknowledged. And then there are so many people who think that they're not good enough to practice yoga or think that yoga mm -hmm. practitioners are like so pious and perfect. And it's like, nah, dude, we are just as messed up as anyone else, if not more so. And we do this practice to try to move forward and look forward. And it's been a really great way for me to kind of come to terms with all of that and just start to see where I can go from here. Do you feel that there's something almost kind of sanitized about the way yoga is presented in popular culture? Absolutely. Sanitized is like the best word to use. It's totally like just vacuum sealed and it's just all about you know peace love and rainbows and look at this sunset and look at handstands on the beach and just all this stuff that when it comes down to it has absolutely nothing to do with yoga really I find that my practice is pretty dark it's pretty um I mean nowadays it's mostly just me like crying on my yoga mat and I think that because people associate it with this like pristine sanitized vision that there's just a lot of misinformation about yoga as a result and it's really um, kind of disheartening because it happens with people who really need this practice and then they think it's not for them because it seems so fake you know you mentioned crying on your mat mm. and the most powerful part of the book for me was that bursting of the floodgates, if you will, in your yoga teacher training, where you talk about a long history of holding your emotions in and bottling it up because of the bullying that you experienced early on. And because black women don't get the luxury of breaking down and Absolutely. not being the pillar of strength. 
And so can you talk a little bit about that moment in yoga teacher training and what Mm -hmm. you realized in that moment? Basically, so during my YTT, that's what we call yoga teacher training, um, everyone was crying because it's a very emotional experience. You're looking within yourself in a way that you probably never have because I did an immersion teacher training. And so you're practicing for hours a day with the same group of people. You're breathing together. You're communing with the self in a way that you wouldn't typically. And as a result, there's all of this internal fire building up. And that fire in yoga is called tapas. And it's purposeful. You build the fire through asana, the poses, through the breath, the pranayama. You build it so that you can burn away the pieces of yourself that don't need to be there. It's literally like layering a fire. And so over these weeks, we're layering the fire. And I come from a culture of people who do not emote like you don't we're not crying about things. And you're certainly not. If you're crying, it better be because you you lost a limb or somebody died. I mean, my paternal grandmother once ran over her own foot with a lawnmower and drove herself to the hospital. Like there's not there's I come from a a lineage of bad bitches. So (laughs) they're not you're not out here crying about things. So I saw everyone all through my YTT just breaking down every single day. It seemed like somebody else was crying. And I was just like man these fools you're out here crying about yoga are you serious you're crying about yoga like who died yeah yeah exactly i'm like nobody died you're just out here being dramatic but middle of the second week i was doing a partner yoga exercise with uh someone who i think is an amazing human being um her name is katie she is like very petite and blonde and the complete physical opposite of me and as a result i felt very self-conscious of my size i was worried that I was going to hurt her because as a fat bodied person, I've spent my whole life apologizing for my body and feeling very, very apprehensive about it, even as it has become stronger and more flexible. And and I've come to understand different ways of processing that body shame. I still I'm in a permanent state of recovery from being a body shamer and um, and self-hate. And so I found myself throughout this partner yoga exercise apologizing every single time that I even touched her because I'm always I'm afraid that I could like hurt someone by even looking at them let alone putting the full my full body weight on them so this whole practice I'm just apologizing like every time I touch her I'd be like oh I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry and then she finally just stopped me and she was like you know you don't have to apologize for everything right and I was like Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I guess I'm just apologizing for existing. And it was the kind of thought that slipped out of my mouth like it had always been there. Like I'd never not been thinking that. But it was because of the tapas, because of that fire burning in a way that I wasn't even consciously recognizing. It was because of that that the words were on the tip of my tongue like that. And it was shocking to me. I was stuck because what? You think you don't deserve to exist? Is that a thing? Is that a thing I really think about myself? Like, that's not because I am just like anyone else. I blame my problems on anything but me. You know, I blame it on, you know, my parents. I blame it on my partner. I blame it on, you know, like maybe this is why I need to shop. Maybe this is why I need to drink. Like all of these, you put it on all these other things. You never get to the heart of I think I don't deserve to exist. How long have I been thinking that? Was, did I start thinking it in adolescence when I was being bullied? Was I thinking it before that? Is this something I've been thinking literally my entire life? Katie just kind of cocked her eyebrow at me and kept going. I was stuck, though. I was just like, what the fuck? I can't believe, like, 
what <laughs> is this a thing that I think? And I just started crying. And I cried through the rest of the practice. And I cried through Shavasana. And I cried in my car. I could not stop. And no one said anything because literally everyone was crying. It was not, it's not unusual. Because they're burning. I mean, it's, there's no other way for this to happen. And I think that that's why, because when I say like, yeah, most of my yoga practice is crying. It's like, so do you just get on the mat and start crying immediately? No, it's like you're, you're burning, you're, you're breathing, you are tuning into yourself. And you start to see things that you've been covering up up forever and misdiagnosing and that's not to say that like yeah now I never apologize for anything and I always feel so good about myself no I still chronically apologize I still have to check myself on this but to see that and to start to acknowledge that so that I can start to move on even if I spend the next however many decades trying to move on from it just to see that is so worthwhile and that to me is really the power of this practice and that's why I'm so enthusiastic about it there's a lot no i mean i feel it intensely and i i also did a yoga teacher training everyone was crying there as well thank you i believe it's known as ytt YTT. (laughs) you're down with ytt YTT. yeah Yeah, you you know know me me. yes um i I must have said that at least once during ytt (laughs) i think it's a prerequisite if you don't do it you don't get the certificate yeah (laughs) so you've talked a lot about how most people when they think of yoga these days modern yoga i should say think about slender white women and lululemon Colorful mm-hmm. leggings, freshly pressed juices. Mm, green juice pops mm-hmm. to mind. And yes. it's a whole lifestyle goop type of thing. But in your experience, you feel like that's not an accurate representation of what modern yoga is. So can you talk a little bit about how the media perception of what yoga is differs from the reality of it? Mm. Yeah, I think that um, when we think about the yoga lifestyle, when we think about the traditional practitioner, it is invariably a slender and modern yoga, you are right to say. Um, we think of a slender, white, heterosexual, cisgender woman who has a certain amount of money. She has the time to practice yoga. She can prioritize things like leggings and mats and retreats and this kind of, all this stuff. And in my mind, that person is the person that marketers have been trying to sell stuff to for ages. They, that's the person that you see on the cover of magazines. That's the person that has always been in catalogs and advertisements. I mean, like, that's the person that our society has determined is most worthy of purchasing things. And in my mind, all of that doesn't have anything to do with yoga. <laughs> that's just how you market something so that people will buy stuff so it's always been wild to me that people will come to me and be like wow you're breaking all the stereotypes you're so different from what a yoga practitioner typically looks like and I'm just like I'm pretty sure if you go to any yoga studio like you will find some fat black people like there's not you'll find some somebody who looks different I'm so not the first person to be doing this kind of work or to be practicing yoga in a body that does not fit that standard and it's so telling to me whenever people are surprised by the presence of someone who doesn't look like that because I'm like oh all right so you're living in a bubble got it because the reality is that there are so many different kinds of people who do this practice and it's people with no limbs people with no eyesight people with this color skin people with that kind of hair people with I mean people who are this age that age there's no standard because the practice if you can breathe you can do this and you can make it you can adapt it to wherever you are but if you can breathe you can do it and 
the people who really need this practice are not the people with privilege. It's people who are marginalized and it's people who have had their humanity stripped from them. So I feel like it's important to let people who fall into those categories know that this practice is for them so that they can use it as a self-care tactic. Other than that, quite frankly, I don't really give a fuck if anyone, if, <laughs> if the modern yoga mainstream image has changed because I kind of think of it as a trend. It's a fad. It's just like anything else. It's like, you know, Taibo or Jane Fonda or um, Richard Simmons or all these other things that like were really, really relevant once. And I think that at some point, People will stop caring about uh, yoga mats and coconut water and Mm -hmm. leggings, and that will be gone. But yoga, which has existed for thousands of years, and the principles have been understood on multiple continents by many different groups of people, I think that will transcend. So to me, I don't really... I don't, I don't care what those rich white ladies <laughs> are Because it's just an image, right? Exactly. It's not it's real. It's just an image. It's not real. I love having a good yoga mat. My yoga mat was expensive as all hell. <laughs> I love having nice leggings. I have more yoga leggings than a human being needs. I get it. But I think the fact that for so many of us, that's where it ends is that maybe we disagree there. But I'm not going to try to convince anyone to feel differently. If you if you want to buy into that, then buy into it. But I think it's just about seeing where your practice can go after that. And just kind of spitting off that, there is a lot of talk about who owns the practice of yoga and cultural appropriation is a, is a phrase that people do throw around. What are your particular feelings on that? This is what I think. I think that the the light and the darkness within each of us doesn't have anything to do with a specific culture it doesn't have anything to do with a specific religion it's not related to these lines that we've drawn for us to understand this world it's just true and i think that that and anything which tunes into that is there's no way to own that as a as a concept, only because there's evidence of this being discovered in Africa, in South America, in Native American um, medicine really holds many of these principles that like holds that as like a core principle. So I feel like that truth, when you're tapping into that truth, that is a space where you can avoid appropriation. That being said, So much of the way that we understand yoga, modern yoga specifically, is derived from ancient yoga from South Asia. And as a result, our community is rife with cultural appropriation. I notice the appropriation most with white people. And I think that that's why it's gone largely unchecked up until this point, because we live in a society that is really built on um, colonialism and built on imperialism. And stealing is a part of what if we talk about what's made America great, stealing is a huge part Tell of it. It. And like, Tell it. And so it's just kind of like it's and even having this conversation with other yoga people who do things that 
I would personally question in my own practice, having this conversation with them becomes very confrontational and very negative because it turns into this like, well, this is what I love. This is my identity. This is who I am. And so I'm not here to check anybody's appropriation, but I know that I can check my own appropriation. And that's something that just in my personal practice, I'm always trying to be conscious of. Because when I first started practicing yoga, I was really sketched out by many aspects of it. You know, taking random iconography and like you know just throw a ohm sign on there and mm. have these beads and wear that thing and the the image that I always have in my head and that I give in the book is the white woman who is like wearing a sari and a bendy and saying that like no this is a part of my yoga practice to which I would argue I'm pretty sure that's just South Asian culture and I don't know if that's a part of your yoga practice so it's things like that in my eyes it's not the appropriation that is inherently the problem because appropriation is a huge part of what happens whenever people mix of different cultural identities. But I feel like it's the theft and it's not acknowledging the history of something and not being respectful of it that really makes the difference. And again, I'm not here to be the appropriation police. I don't I don't care what other people do in their practices. Like enjoy, have fun, do whatever it is you need to do. But I know what I'm not going to do. But it's a conversation that I hope more people have in the modern yoga world. So a big part of yoga is sitting with yourself, which can be very hard. And you write about it in the book of how absorbing loneliness was a really big challenge for you. Oh, yeah. So what was your process with being comfortable sitting with yourself? And what's that done for you? So much of my understanding has come from my personal relationships because I grew up in a um, family where it was very much like you're looking for your life partner. You're looking for whoever it is. Even even after I came out, it's like, OK, so, you know, maybe I'm not looking for a husband, but I'm looking for a somebody and they're out there and that person is going to complete me. And I'm not done until I find that person that it doesn't matter what else I do in my life. It doesn't matter what happens in my career. It doesn't matter what goes on in my internal development. If I find that person, then I will be complete. But that is such a short-sighted way to see this life. And it has led me down a lot of very confusing paths in terms of, like, uprooting my life to live in different locations based on the person that I'm dating. Just the need to be close to someone. If I'm not feeling that love, then what? This question keeps, it comes up for me in meditation to this day, like, then what? What are you missing when you don't have that love from another person? Because the love that that I need should be coming from myself. And searching for self-love in other human beings is a dangerous tendency to notice within yourself. Because it means that you will never be happy alone. You'll never be comfortable in solitude. And that it doesn't matter who you meet in this life because they could be gone and you will still be alone and you need to figure out a way to be alone. And so I spent a fair amount of time and still spend a lot of time alone and trying to understand what it means to be alone and understanding the fear that comes along with being alone. And that so often we're afraid to be alone, that like you're afraid to even go out to dinner alone or go to a movie alone or afraid to be seen alone. Because what does that mean about you as a person that you don't have another person next to you? That is a web that I find myself still untangling. 
And it is such a beautiful journey to be on because I don't see how it's helpful to continue to think that I need to find love for myself within another human being. If I can sit with what it means to be lonely, if I can understand that it is not a bad thing to be lonely, to sit in that, then maybe I can understand that I don't have to be around another human being, that I can be fulfilled, that I can have that love by being alone. That's really powerful. Mm. I kind of don't know what to say to that. Mm. Well, the legend RuPaul once said, not once, every time, (laughs) said, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love somebody else? Can I get an amen up in here? Amen. 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 (laughs) So we are fresh out of time, so it's time for a lightning round where I'm going to get your opinions on some pop culture things. Okay. Oh, gosh. I'm going to start with a hard one. Mm -hmm. You have said that you have used a Harry Potter book as a yoga block. (laughs) So naturally, my question is, kill Mary. Ooh, ooh, ooh. (laughs) Bellatrix Lestrange. Oh, this is so good. Okay. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Bellatrix. Okay. Ron's mom. Okay. Molly Weasley. Heard Professor McGonagall. Oh, that's so hard. Okay, this is, first of all, okay, oh my gosh, all the opinions. But first of all, I low-key love Bellatrix Lestrange because she is like, probably, I mean, definitely one of the baddest bitches, but also like so unafraid. And it's unfortunate that I have to kill her in this scenario because like Professor McGonagall, Molly Weasley, obviously I gotta f*** and or marry one of them. But... <laughs> I just want to say that before I kill Bellatrix, I would definitely want to hit that at least once. <laughs> and especially if it's Helena Bonham Carter um, in the in the it role. Is. There yes. are no rules in yeah, this cool. game. <laughs> cool. So, yes. I actually think those films were very well cast in terms of how I pictured everyone. That's not important. So, uh, Mary... Um, you know what? Yeah, I probably marry Professor McGonagall because I feel like she will keep me in line and like make sure that everything is always taken care of and when it's time to defend our homestead she's gonna be right there like on the front lines directing everything I don't want to hit it and quit it with Molly Weasley so I really hope that this isn't like a one night stand type situation because I actually adore Molly Weasley and identify with her and probably if I was a character in Harry Potter I'm probably Molly Weasley but yeah I would definitely hit that especially like right after the um the battle of hogwarts oh, when yeah. she had like just when she was like not my daughter bitch like that would have been i'm like molly what's going on with you after this yeah like, <laughs> you're like can i borrow you for five minutes yeah, I'm like, you you're like your, your tapas is so <laughs> like your tapas is really on fire right now so yeah yeah that's what that is <laughs> fave olsen twin release oh my gosh okay um oh my gosh okay it takes two, probably. Yeah. Um, I love it takes two, and I also really enjoyed Billboard Dad. <gasps> I was just gonna <laughs> say the slept on, the slept on classic <laughs> is Billboard Dad. It is. Slept on I, it is because I feel like um, I am a purist, so I do have to go back to the um, the detective films. Like I really enjoy the one where they, um, because I know this one little bit of the song, and it is 
forever in my mind. It's like, got to, got to, got to have the funky musicology. I can't remember what the mystery was that went along with that one. It's but like a that Prince vibe to that one. No, yes. right. Unexpected. See, I don't know who was writing their songs, <laughs> but I hope they got the, I hope they're still getting royalties on that. Can you imagine like, if it was Prince behind the scenes? Oh, He's just oh like, yeah, gosh. I got bored. It would make a no, lot of sense. <laughs> no, literally. <laughs> Chilling in Paisley Park. He probably <laughs> wrote it while he's on the toilet. He's like, you know what? This rhymes. And it's that <laughs> good. Yeah. Yes. So in the book, you come out as a fart positive person. <laughs> You're okay with farts in the yoga studio. And you quote say that if someone makes you feel bad, then that person is obviously a giant douche monkey asshole. <laughs> hey. So I'm wondering who are some other people, maybe in pop culture, who you would categorize as giant douche monkey assholes? Yeah, who's the type? Oh, wow. Giant douche monkey assholes. Um... In this instance, I'm like rolling my eyes at yoga because it's making me feel like, well, you know, you don't know these people and you don't know, you don't the know their you struggle don't know what's and going story. on with them. And, and so I feel compelled to just be like, I don't know. But there's some people who just really seem to not be thinking of others. Uh, Sean Hannity oh, comes to mind. <laughs> oh, no. Um, like, uh, the basically everyone who works at Fox News, um, not everyone, but a few of them. <laughs> and um, I'm really not a fan of most of the people who work at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And I feel as though they really just set the bar for that which I do not care for and it's hard for other people to really match that so yeah I think everyone, about covers it yeah, yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> so we end every episode with a song yeah what can you not stop listening to so there's this guy G Yamazawa he is a Durham based rapper I'm from Durham North Carolina and he put out this track with these features that are amazing the song is called North CAC and it's about like growing up in North Carolina being young in the state and like what's really happening there not just what's happening on the news and it's really encouraging because living in a state that is super conservative and traveling I feel like I'm constantly when I say I'm from North Carolina people are like oh what's that like oh you must have so much it must be so scary to live there oh and i'm just like bitch it's scary to live everywhere do you live in america there's all <laughs> kinds of things happening in this country america 2017. yeah but so it's dope to like hear this song that is so um exciting and catchy and just like really empowering as a north carolinian and so yeah north cac by G. Yamazawa. I've been listening to it nonstop for the last two days. And the video is amazing because it's literally shot on like a country. It's shot on a North Carolina road. It's like in the cut with just random trucks everywhere. And I was like, oh, God, it's just a good. Anyway, <laughs> it's home. <laughs> yes. It's awesome. Let's listen. It's right out. Yeah. It's the North Cat, baby. I'm a boss. Carolina barbecue sauce with the slaw. I'm the safe, the cellar, and the vault. I'm the best, the effect, and the cause. I'm the law. So now all of our listeners are obviously obsessed with you. Where can they find your work? I am My Name is Jessamine on Instagram and Facebook and Tumblr. And on Twitter, I am Jess Not Jazz. And then all this information, including my book, my online classes, they are on jessaminestanley.com. Log on. Do it. Find it. Click it's it. The internet. Yes. <laughs> Bye. 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 I'm the best the effect and the cause on the law. 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 
let's do the harmony that we practiced before. Oh, okay. Love independent women. Well, now what can I what can I contribute to this? Nothing. That.